Hi, everyone. Welcome to Genealogy Adventures. I'm Brian Sheffy. And I'm Donya Williams. Hi, everybody. How are you today? I did it. We got it right. <laughs> <laughs> high five. <laughs> yes, high five. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for um, joining this, for joining us for this next hour. Thank you for sharing part of your Sunday with us. Yes, we are excited today. Today is going to be a very great show. Um, actually, this whole month of November is going to be an awesome show because this month of November, we're going to be doing Lineage Societies. Um, and we're kicking it off with the sons and daughters of the United States Middle Passage. And the president of the sons and daughters is Miss Evelyn McDowell. So before I bring her on, let me just tell you who she is. Um, Dr. Evelyn McDowell, a PhD, CPA, um, she is a CGMA, is the president of the board of directors, founder and charter member of Sons and Daughters of the United States Middle Passage. She has been researching her family for over 20 years and has identified over 35 enslaved ancestors. She is a member of the Princeton chapter of the Daughters of the American Revolution. She is also an associate professor of accounting at Writers University. Ryder University in Lawrenceville, New Jersey, and is the co-chair of Writers Task Force on its history of slavery. So please, everyone, welcome Dr. Evelyn McDowell. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. It's such an honor to be here, finally. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's such an honor. Um, and, uh, before I start, I want to give a big hello to all the uh, members of Sons and Daughters out there. And uh, we thank thank you. They love your show. And many of them love your show. And um, I also want to congratulate you too before I forget, uh, for getting that Ida B. Wells Award. That is a very, that's a very high uh, service award in our organization. And we, we, we are just honored to give that to you. I just want to congratulate you both. Thank you so much. It just it I can't even describe how much that just made made our year to to can be I, able to receive that. Can I just awesome. say that it brought tears to my eyes cuz I was actually like talking with my cousin Yolanda on the phone when I, when when I got the email. And when I read the email I was like, "Oh my god, wait a minute." And I read it to her. She started screaming and, and she was like, "Oh my god, I'm so proud of you." And it was just, it was, it was really an honor. And it sits on my dresser. Um, the award itself sits on my dresser and it just means, it means the world to me. So I, awesome. I, I definitely thank you so much. It, it really is a highlight for all of us. It means a lot to us to be able to hear you say that because that's what we want. We want you to feel empowered. We want you to feel appreciated. Um, and we want you to feel loved. So it, it mission accomplished. Yeah, yeah, it did. Yeah, mission definitely accomplished. Definitely. Which the whole kind of feeling about being, you know, being recognized and lifted up, that's kind of, that's a very core principle of your organization. And that's a perfect segue. So for the audience members who are unfamiliar, don't know anything about the organization, can you just tell us a bit about who started it, when it started, and the kind of reasons for starting it? Ooh, that's a lot. Okay, well, here we go. Um, it was started um, a while ago. I would say, you know, probably the first ideas popped into my head around 2011, but we started it around 2013 is when the organization started. Um, why did it start? Well, um, 
I, honestly, I was about, I was at this particular time in my life, uh, I was doing more research in my family tree and discovered that I had, um, you know, an ancestor. Of course, I knew it, but I never knew the name of my enslaved ancestor. So I was working on that. And, um, and I was in a, um, I, I was asked to, to do a, um, a speech. And the speech was about how I grew up in the ghettos of Cleveland, Ohio, and how I made it to be uh, have a PhD in accounting. Um, and then I mentioned in the room that my um, ancestor was enslaved. And in the whole room, like this whole energy, you know, so I, 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 you know, I realized I can't start my story when I was born, that my story really started years and thousands of years ago, really. I don't know the whole story, mm. um, but, um, but I, 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 when you look at my ancestor, my great grandmother was born enslaved and it took all these years for a descendant of hers to get a PhD. So it, it was, it, it really got to me. So I said, you know, you know, we need to do this. All of us should, you know, if, if you can find your enslaved ancestor and lift them up because maybe you'll get the same energy that I got. And I was looking at the Daughters of America, I mean, I was looking at the show and, um, and the show talked about the Daughters of American Revol uh, Revolution. And I had no idea y'all what it was. I had no idea what that organization was. So and our show introduced you to the Daughters? No, I was looking at another show. I was looking at, um, oh. actually, who do you think you are? Okay. And they mentioned it uh, back in, this is back in 2011, somewhere around there. I had no idea who they were. And um, uh, I said, oh my gosh, that is exactly what I want to do for enslaved, our enslaved ancestors. Exactly. So I call myself, um, uh, you know, spying on them. So I go down to New York, <laughs> to DC, Washington, DC. And just, I just went down there specifically to see what the Daughters of American Re Revolution was all about. Long, long story short, when I get there, I find out that I could join it and I could link and um, my ancestor um, was unattached. So this, he was a revolutionary war soldier, but no one had attached to them so that they could join the organization. So that meant I had to learn it all on my own. And, you know, and I'm an accountant <laughs> and I'm a hobby genealogist. So I had to learn all that. And to me, I, I honestly believe that it, it was divine, you know, like um, that, that it was just supposed to be. And so I had, I got into the organization and I used that to model sons and daughters from. And as, if you see the application, it's very similar to the application for the DAR. It so, um, and, and, but it, it was, uh, that's, that's how it got started. And, um, and we've been going, going strong ever since. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, very quickly, you guys, I'm drinking tea because I'm not feeling well. So if you see the tea, I'm next two I'm of us. Something. Yeah. Drink tea for me. <laughs> So we see a lot of lineage and heritage societies in this, you know, in the United States of America. So, I mean, particularly you have things like the Jamestown Society that celebrates the, the early founders of, of Jamestown. Then you have the Society of Ancient Planters, which kind of honors the, the rich and the powerful and the good of Virginia. 
So you have a lot of kind of very white focused ones. Um, you've got the the daughters of the Confederacy. I mean, there there are literally so many of them. Yeah. Why a why a, a heritage and lineage organization for enslaved people? Uh, for the same reasons, right? For the same mm -hmm. reasons. Um, uh, if, if you will allow me, I want to go back just one little second and mm -hmm. just say that, yes, I, I had the idea, but this organization was molded by many people. And I want to just let, let you know who they are. There's Rick Murphy, um, uh, uh, LaBrenda uh, Garrett Nelson, and um, uh, Sharon uh, Gil, um, what's Sharon's last name? Oh my gosh, I knew I was going to do this. McGinnis and uh, Margot Lee Williams. They all, and, and of course, our, our founding members, which are Abasi Anaton and um, uh, uh, Catherine Puckett, they all kind of helped. So I don't want anybody to think that, you know, this is something that, okay, Evelyn came up with and Evelyn, this is all Evelyn. No, uh, this is a community effort. So I just want everybody to know that. But you're right. I mean, uh, it is a lineage society. Um, our, this lineage society is just like all the other ones. It is. It was developed to honor our ancestors. Our mission is to um, help each other connect to our enslaved ancestors. We want to honor them. We want to commemorate their memory. And, and we want to educate other people because we don't want anybody to ever, ever forget the horrible um, uh, atrocities that, that they endured uh, through uh, slavery in the United States. So we, we started the organization to, to do that. And it's like any other hereditary organization, you want to lift up our ancestors. To us, our ancestors, um, this country wouldn't exist without them, you know. We, it would not, and you all know that, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here. Um, they would not exist, this country wouldn't exist. Uh, the founding fathers would not have been able to spend money to create this country because, you know, be, but you know, where did they get that money? A lot of that money from, a lot of them were planters and they got that money from um, enslaving our ancestors. So we like to think of them as, we call them forced American heroes because of that, you know, they. They, you know, if, if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be here. None of us would be here. Um, so that's that's, um, uh, you know, my my take and on my take on why heritage organizations are important. And um, another big reason why they're important, is especially in uh, sons and daughters, and um, you know, Rick Murphy has another society that he's starting up, and um, uh, you know, these what they do is is help people to focus on that history. You know, I, at one time I was talking to a um, librarian in the Virginia, in, a, in the, the library of Virginia. And he told me something fascinating. He said, he said, you know, I told him, I said, I feel like we don't know anything about slavery. He said, you're right. He said, what, what I, to me, it's like, um, you know, the history of slavery is an iceberg. And he said, Evelyn, we only know snowflakes. And mm. I was wow. So sons and daughters exist to help us get, you know, get, get past all those snowflakes. Make it, we, wanna, we wanna make a dent in that iceberg so that we can tell the stories of our ancestors and, and let other people know how important they were to the founding of this country. I like to think of them as founding mothers and fathers.
Absolutely. That's the way I look at mm. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so let me ask a question. As a as an employee at, at the DAR, one of the things that the daughters of the American Revolution, the daughters, they are very big on trying to let people know more about the Patriots. What is it that the the sons and daughters of the Middle Passage, what is it that you are trying to let people know about those forced American heroes? Well, um, we want to, we just want to get their stories out. A lot of them, a lot, there's so many misconceptions, right? Mm, um, mm. People, <laughs> yeah, there's so many misconceptions. Um, people think it happened yesterday. I mean, not yesterday, years and years ago, like they're mm. ancient people, you know, they were just like you and I, you right. know, I, I, I was just telling someone the other day, I was like, if, if somebody took my child and sold it, I would die. And our, you know, our ancestors went through that and, and they went through worse. Right. right. And, you know, of course they had to endure the middle passage and then they got here and they just were uh, treated so poorly, um, just barbaric, you know, treatment. And, um, you know, so I, I, I um, you know, what our job is, is to get those stories out, is to encourage people to connect to their ancestor and tell the story. So um, much like the DAR, you know, that's, I look at them as doing the same thing, um, but, you know, we just do it for our enslaved ancestors. Well, one question that I have, and the timing of the show is actually perfect for so many reasons. Donnie and I have been having this discussion for the last month. All of a sudden, there's been this resurgence of this I'm going to call it lie or disinformation that black people cannot, the descendants of enslaved people can't trace their ancestry before 1870. Now, before we get into like how the process of applying to the sons and daughters, in order to do that, you need records. So would you just, would you like to talk a little bit about this, this myth that we can't find records? Absolutely. That, That is another myth on top of like, that's myth number 28, you know, I mean, like, um, I mean, there, there's so many myths, myths about this. Um, it, the records are there, the records are there. Um, you know, I think some people get a little hung up on, uh, the fact that you need to find a birth certificate. Uh, you need to find, um, you know, a manifest, you need to find a bill of sale, you don't need to find those things. Um, uh, the census records are there. Uh, if you know, in case uh, to replace the birth records, the census records are there. Uh, you don't need to find. And, and you know, thank goodness for all of us who are you know who are into genealogy. We know that there's a standard of proof, right? So all we need to do is okay. You can't find an ancestor in particular. Let's say you can't find one. Uh, that that evidence. Uh, you can get to 1870 census, but you can't find the evidence um, for whatever reason. There, you could, um, you know, there there are laws. Uh, the there are law like in in I, I believe it's in Alabama. Alabama had a law that said any free people of color had to get out, and I think it was 1833, if I'm not mistaken. And um, so, if your ancestor was born after 1833. And there's and and you see them on the 1870 census. They were born before 1873. Then you know that's a, a piece of the evidence. 
that they were most likely enslaved. So you can kind of get like their negative evidence. You can go back to the 1850 census. You can go and they're not there. You know, so you can negative evidence is powerful. Um, but, uh, you know, you don't have to find that 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 bill of sale. You know, those records are hard to come by. And I, I don't want people to feel like they have to do that. You, you can there are other ways, uh, deeds, wills. I found my one of my enslaved ancestors on, on a will. Um, and um, so and then I, I found other information in newspapers, you know, that you can find the information. Uh, even if you can't find that that exact information about where they were enslaved, you can put together pieces to, to make the argument that they were enslaved. That's what we're looking for. So the yeah. goal is to prove that they were enslaved, not to necessarily and to not to necessarily prove that they were connected to you. I mean, you can, it's easier to prove that they were connected to you. The, the goal is to really prove that they were enslaved. You have to do both. Okay. Yeah, you have to do both. You have to to um, prove that they were enslaved. Just like in the DAR, they have to prove that their uh, ancestor fought for the American Revolution. Um, in, in this organization, you have to prove that they were enslaved, you know, prove. Um, so, um, you know, the best way you can. You know, I, I would say about 98% of the applications we get, get approved. So I want I want everybody to know that you know we we're we're not like I said we're not looking for that bill of sale that that like you know boom you know that person uh, was definitely enslaved they hear their name and the plantation and the slave owner and all that no um, but we want you to get close now let me you want to know why some people ask me this why why do we have to get close. Well, I have to give this to Rick Murphy. <laughs> so even when I wanted to join this organization, Rick Murphy at the time was the uh, registrar. And and if all, I mean, the, many of your uh, listeners know who he is. He is uh, he was the vice president of history for Augs, and um, he's very um, uh, you know well known in the genealogy circles. And um, he was the registrar at the time. And I was like, okay, I got to 1870, um, it's Alabama. Okay, that, that should be enough, okay? But he said, no, push, push, go, go, go more, try to find more. And I am so happy he did because I was able to find a deed. Um, I mean, I'm sorry, a will, a will with my ancestor on it. And I could see her name, she was eight years old. And I'll never forget the feeling that I had when I saw her. Mm. And um, and even though it was kind of painful, uh, on the other side of it was victory. And I, I don't wanna, I'm so happy that I found it. I ha I'm very happy I found it. So we, we try to push people to find the data, um, find the information if you can. And if you can't, um, you know, do that, do do the the, the proof argument. Cool. And another record set that I can give a huge shout out to are they're called hiring out contracts. Oh, yeah. So again, a lot of enslaving families to make some extra money as an income stream would hire out their enslaved people. Right. And I've been first. It took me a little while to figure out where you can find them, and I'm finding them mostly in probate records. Oh. So. You know, if you if you're looking in a data set or a database, you know, 
want to find these kind of records, it's, it's the probate records you really need to look at. Yeah. And the reason why they're really amazing is family groups were sometimes hired out. So when I'm looking at a probate record, I'm set an entire estate inventory, but those relationships aren't necessarily spelt out. To find a, a hiring out contract that said Joe, his wife Betsy, and their children, Joe Jr., Venus, and Sophia. There you go. And then you can actually map those people to the probate, to the estate inventory. And then, depending on what time period we're talking about, the 1850 slave schedule or the 1860 slave schedule. It's just those little missing pieces of the puzzle. But it frustrates Donnie and I to no end every time we keep hearing that statement. Nope. Get to 1870, can't, can't go beyond that. No, that's um, so true. And we've just had a wonderful conversation about how that's not how that's not true. Right. So we're getting a couple of questions coming in already. The most obvious one. The most obvious. So we're, say, we're saying this the process is similar to the the um, daughters of the American Revolution. But what is what is the overall kind of process like and what kind of evidence do people have to gather to to prove their their lineage? Okay. I like to tell people uh, you want to think about um, you want to think about a, a, a pedigree chart. Think about a pedigree chart, and on a pedigree chart, you want to follow that line for your enslaved ancestor. Um, and every date, every place, every name, and every connection to the next generation has to be documented. Okay, so. Um, you know, like if, if my son wanted to prove that, you know, I'm his mother, he can get the birth certificate, right? And that has my name, it has where I was born, has where he was born and has his name. And we have that connection, I'm his mother. So you wanna do that for every single um, uh, ancestor until you get to that enslaved ancestor. And, and that's basically how uh, you do it. I mean, it sounds simple, uh, the the rub is it can get you know some I find that some people get intimidated by the process and uh, and it could be because you have to get documentation to support every number so our registrars um, Labrinda is our registrar and um, uh, Margot Lee Williams Labrinda Garrett Nelson they're they're the registrars right now and they actually get the application and then they match up those dates and the places and the, the connections and the, and the names to each one. And they verify that the information is there. And then once it's, once they verify it, then it goes to our board. Some people say, hey, Evelyn, sure, can you get me in there? Jokingly, can you get me in? Nope, I can't get you in. I couldn't get myself in, remember I told you? <laughs> <laughs> I can't get you in. It has to go to the registrars and then the registrars um, are the ones that um, make sure that, uh, you know, they, they go through the paperwork and they approve and then we get it and then uh, we approve. And then that person is, 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 is added to the roster. Um, we, um, we print out certificates. We are all, matter of fact, I just want to let everybody know we are 100%, 100 volunteer, volunteer organization. Not like the DAR, they make good money, right? Everybody <laughs> We're, yeah. we're not there yet. We're not there yet. So we are 100% volunteer. Um, and uh, so the process goes after they've been approved for membership. Uh, we, um, you know, print out the certificates. We do them in batches, which is some people, you know, it, we do it like every three to every three or six months. We'll print them all out at one time and then we'll send them out. 
and and that's how it, it goes. And then uh, you're in you're in the organization. We we are just happy that we have just got our um, insignia. Um, it's going to be you can buy it from Hamilton Jewelers. Um, they're getting it made right now, so we're really excited about that. Oh. And um, uh, and and this is I have an old one on right now, but you know, but it's it's uh it's very exciting, very exciting. You can have your ancestor on it. Um, and, uh, like I said, it's very exciting. So that's basically the process. Now, um, can I answer a question that everybody asked me at this time? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, there's a very good question from okay. Pamela McDonald, which I hope that Don, you can throw that one up. So how do you document enslaved ancestors who aren't registered by name? Who aren't registered by name. I, um, I understand what she's saying because they're not going to have a birth certificate. They're not going to have a death certificate. So how do you say, for instance, you know, you, you have gotten past the 1870, you're now in the early 1800s, you're working with the state inventories and probate records and freedmen, you know, obviously after emancipation, freedmen records. How do, how do you document those people who, did, who didn't have birth or death certificates? Okay, well, and I could give you just a quick example about my second great grandmother. Uh, this is the one that I found on a will. Um, I, I was able to, um, you know, find her on the 1870 census. So I don't know if this person is able to find them on the 18, her in 1870. So I found her on the 1870 census and her last name. I know, I know it, the, uh, what's his name? Um, the guy who did the study on, um, on, the last name of enslaved people. I have found that a lot of my ancestors took the name of the enslaver. So in this particular case, um, I was able to find her on the 1870 census and there was her birth date and everything right there. So um, I have, I, I, I'm gonna try to keep going back as far as I can, of course. I wanna go back to Africa, but um, uh, I, I have not, been, I have not got, gotten to a point where I couldn't find any data that would help me figure out ages. So again, it's like a big puzzle and I'm putting pieces together. So uh, I, I don't know if that answers the question, but on, in that particular case, that's how I was able to do it. Um, even though they don't have a birth certificate, my, and she doesn't even have a death certificate. I have no idea when she died. Well, so, I think most I think most of the enslaved wouldn't have like a birth or a death certificate. Yes. I mean, take Moses and Martha, none of them will have that, but if we have proof proof of them connected to us in one way or another, we end up finding them mm -hmm. and and that'll that'll be proof of them. Um, I have a question from well, I, was, Jody. I just want to I just want to jump in before we cycle off this point. However, if I don't want to say lucky, but depending on the practices of the enslaving family, mm -hmm. their births or deaths may be noted in a plantation book, yes. a farm book, yeah. farm journal, whatever they call them. Yeah. You may be able to, if they still survive and exist, you might be able to find them there. And sometimes in enslaving um, family Bibles, they will have a page called, you know, colored specifically for their colored family members as shocking as that might seem that they would actually document that you might be able to find that too. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you all, I mean, I, I don't know who knows. Right. But I, I wonder like 
are those documents rare? I mean, I think, you know, like some of those documents may be um, hard to get because, you know, a lot of those records didn't survive, but it, it's okay because a lot of, like a will, a will, deeds, you know, they survive. And um, our ancestors were unfortunately considered property. And, um, and so a lot of those records, uh, they exist, but, you know, do they exist today? I don't know. Um, but it, it, it is, like I said, it's still possible to um, go back and find those um, enslaved people. And even though they're not listed by name, like on uh, the will, for example, for my ancestor, on that particular will, I was able to find um, other names there uh, yeah. on the will. And yeah. I and and I was I, I suspect that some of them may be are um, may be her her relatives. Um, I have an I think of another uh, applicant, for example. They I, I also found their ancestor on a will. They found the ancestor on a will, and um, uh, on that will said their mother, uh, the mother so and so, the the daughter, and you know the whole family was listed. Yeah. And again. They, and and they may or may not be on any census, but we we were able to find them. And you know, and the system the census census is problematic, right? Because we do know that not everybody was included on the 1870 census. You know that they estimate that large number of enslaved people didn't make it on there. Um, but we can go to the um, 1880. Mm -hmm. Not no. 18, one of them is missing. Um, 1890. 1890, okay. We that's the one that's missing. Yes. The 1880 is around. Okay, you can go to the 1880 and perhaps find people on, on there. Mm. Um, you know, we want to be able to find them all. And that's another thing that the, the heritage, these heritage organizations are all about is collecting this information and creating a database, we don't we don't share any information past 100 years, okay? So we want to create a database so everybody else who's who's trying to connect to their ancestor can maybe go to our our, our websites, our database, just like the DAR, and put information in and um, and be able to find an application. So that's that's another thing that we're hoping to be able to do. Mm -hmm. I'm going to quickly answer DG's question. She has a question about birth certificates, or he. I'm sorry, I don't don't know the gender. Um, but DG, you will need to research when the state that your ancestors were living in mandated birth certificates and death certificates. Birth certificates were late, after 1900. Deaths were handled in different ways. And then you have to research the county that your ancestors lived in, because South Carolina mandated death certificates twice. The part of South Carolina that Donnie and I came from, come, well, our ancestors came from, they're like, no, nah, we're not doing it. You can't make us do it. We're not doing it. So they, they, they didn't were- They until 1915, till they were made, till they were formed. They were, made. they were like one of the last counties to yeah. actually do it. So wow. as much as we're researching our ancestors, we have to also research the communities and the places and the counties and the states yes. where they were living. So I hope that answers your question, DG. I do want to mention, too, that many people may not realize that in New Jersey, for example, they did register slave births. And probably also in, in New York City, they did. Because there was this gradual abolition act 
um, in both of those places. And I think in Philadelphia as well, uh, or Pennsylvania. And in order to, um, uh, you know, they, they made them so that they know when their time was up, they, they required the slaveholder to come in and register to both birth. And so there, there are some, some places where they did do it, but I, I would suspect it, there are not that many. Well, I have one person who says the application asks for the name of Jody Biles. She says it asks for the name of the slaveholders, and she doesn't know that. Can she still join? Yeah, you can still join. You can still join. Okay. Just put together that, um, you know, your your proof argument to make you to make us understand why you feel that this person was enslaved. So, as there's another thing that some people get confused about is even if they're on the 1870 census. That doesn't mean, um, or or even an earlier census. That doesn't. Um, I mean, if you see them on the 1870 census, it doesn't mean they were enslaved. It doesn't mean that, right? They could have been freed earlier, and they would be on the 1860 census or the 1850 census if you go back, maybe. Um, and so you you don't you know we that's why we just don't want to just take the fact that you see them on the 1870 census as yeah, they were enslaved. They're not necessary. You know, like for example, again, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, ah, sorry, I'm gonna come back to New Jersey. Um, in 1804, they passed the Gradual Abolition Act, and they said that uh, a woman 21 years old and a man 25 years old, they had to serve or be enslaved uh, up until that point. So it's possible you could see them on the 1840 census or no, or not the 1840, I think it's 1830. You could see them on the 1830 census. And, um, and you would think they've been, been free, you know, um, but maybe they were, they were in fact enslaved because you could see them on the census, but they were enslaved. They just came off in, in age. So um, it's, it's a little tricky, but it's all it's all good because we got to tell these stories. We got to tell the stories. <laughs> right. So I have yeah, a Kelly. question. Can I ask this real quick question? Sure. Mm -hmm. um, so you, you were talking about the database and everything and trying to make it so that other people will be able to join. Moses is a huge person. You Everybody knows about Brian and I, um, ancestor Moses Williams and he would be a great person for people to join under mm -hmm. you want me to join under Moses <laughs> you, you've made that con and even though I I I can I can join under Moses um but I want to make sure that I'm going the right direction mm -hmm. so if I join under Moses my direction would be through of course my mom and from my mother to my mother's grandmother mm -hmm. but I have several paths because he had so many children and my mom can go under either one of his wives. Wow. What is the, um, should I go the easiest route so that it can put him on there? Or should I go the hardest route so that then other people can then join? Because I mean, there are two go, ways. Go easy. <laughs> I would say go easy and, um, I mean, if you want to, if you want to do the hard route, of course we appreciate that. <laughs> but um, you know, sometimes it's just so the, the process can be daunting. You know, 
and I and I don't want that to hold you up. We need you. We need you. <laughs> we need we need the members. Our members um, help us run the organization, and okay. we need we need uh, we, we we need people to help us. So um, I want you in, and I'm so I'm being selfish. Okay. <laughs> We can we can also work that out because you can go under one wife and I can go under the other. Yeah, there you go. Well, you can join more under more than one yes. person too, right? Well, yes. that brings up the next question from Kelly Hawkins. Mm -hmm. So she's asking: When you submit an application, is it better to include one person or is it okay to include multiple lines? Um, right now, we're laying out the instructions for people to do that on this the single line. Because what we want to do is uh, encourage you to go as far back as possible. So like, for example, that one um, application I was telling you about where they found their ancestor with their family and it was the daughter that they found, but the mother and a sister were, were listed. So we would encourage that person and that's what they did to go back to the mother. But now, because we see the mother now, so the mother and the daughter were enslaved. So we're, we're laying down the instructions so that you can like uh, put an asterisk by that person, um, by the daughter, to let us know there's a supplement. And then, um, uh, and then you can, and then at that particular time, we'll be able to um, uh, get, you know, get them all in at the same time. So right now you can, I would still go back as far as I can and 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 get those and, and keep those individuals on the supplement. So that's what we call them, supplements. And it's twenty dollars for the supplements. Twenty, the application fee. Am I getting ahead? The application <laughs> fee is just sixty five dollars. Just sixty five. And um and so the and then the annual um uh you know application or membership fee is just twenty five. So um you know you could do the supplement at that same time. So it'll be sixty five dollars. You, you indicate that that person is also enslaved and you provide, actually what you'd have to do is, uh, is add additional uh, documentation. You just have to fill out the application, the first four pages of the application again. And, and it's just so we can get all of that data. Because on the second page of the, of the application, we wanna know who that enslaved person married and if they had children because all of that information will help another person connect to that ens enslaved ancestor. Mm -hmm. So we want that information. So you'd have to do just the first four pages because all the documentation would have been in the application with the mother on it, for example. And Joyce Haney, wow, that is such a South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia surname. She had a question, did all slaves register with the Freedmen Bureau? And I'm going to do the first part of that one. The quick answer is no. no. You have to do some research. There's excellent, the Freedman Bureau kind of record set has a wonderful <laughs> website. There's also a lot of information available about the Freedman Bureau records on FamilySearch's website. Mm -hmm. So again, you have to think about where your ancestors were living. If they were living in a very rural area, chances are the Freedman Bureau didn't get much traction there. There probably isn't going to be a record. So in my own research, I'm re for another client, I'm researching in Jasper County, Georgia, Carroll County, Georgia. I just get a feeling these were like very, very rural places. There are no Freedman records there. Now, there may have been an office in a city not 
far from there, mm-hmm. but I haven't found, I mean, I've actually physically been looking for them and I can't find them. So again, it takes a little bit of research to, to figure out if there was a Freedmen Bureau office anywhere near where your enslaved ancestors were living and just do a little look to see if there were any enslaved people who were registering their marriages, who were registering their labor contracts. Um, Cohabitation records. There's yes. so many records. And, and that's the other thing. We're, we're talking about records that we may know about, but there are probably thousands and thousands of records that we don't know about. They're just, they're somewhere in a box somewhere, you know, you just, and, and we just don't know about them yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to ask this, but to the both to the pair of you, um, Rhonda Barlow asked the question, um, not to sound like this question is going to sound, but this is a real question, is, isn't every Black person whose ancestors were here from the 1800s descended from a slave? No. Uh, um, I, I say I, no. Yeah, I, I'm going to say I don't know <laughs> because, because um, even in, um, I would say most people are, I would say most, but there are people from the islands, you know, or from another nation, like, and, and just, you know, here from Africa. So if they have, um, I've, I've found people on the 1860 census that came here from another country um, and they list their, they came from another country. So, but were they enslaved? I don't know. I don't know. That's why we got it. We, we have to get these stories out here. We have to, mm-hmm. at one point I would have said, no. I mean, I mean, yes, everybody that had ancestors here before the 1800s or even before 1870, I would have said that. But more I dig into it, I'm like you, Danya. They're, they're, I don't know for sure, but I feel that they Well, I, I feel like this. I feel like this. Um, that, let me, I'm a, at first, I said no, but let me, let me rephrase it. Because even, even white people were considered indentured servants. And if a child came from an indentured servant, a black child came from indentured servitude, from an indentured servant, is that child considered um, from someone who was quote unquote enslaved, whether it was enslaved as an indentured servant mm-hmm. or an enslaved right. See everybody not, has their not, own not if they had a white mother. Yeah, right. That's Remember, my thought. it always so... it always took the status of what the mother was. Exactly. I, I understand that. That's mm. what I'm saying. I understand mm-hmm. that part. So you have to think about what that is. But some people may look at as indentured servitude as a form of slavery. That's where that's the problem that people are having. They look at indentured servitude as a form of slavery. So because they look at it as an in form of slavery, then they'll say that yes, these people were enslaved. I don't feel like they were. I'm I'm on the I'm on the same boat as as Brian when it comes to that. But then we have family members who a woman, for example, Rebecca Bug, her mother was not even an indentured servant. Her mother was just a regular sweet white woman. That's what they called her, a very a Christian white woman who was who had black children. And Rebecca was a free person of color, right. point blank. 
That's all nope. she was. So they 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 exist. They are free people of color. I hate the fact that we don't talk about them enough. Yes. Mm. Now, where things get a little bit tricky, and there's still uh, academic debate raging, what the legal status of the 1619 Africans were. Right. Um, because I do descend from some of those lines, and what you know, they bought themselves out of their bonds. They were free, except for poor Peter George. He was the only one who never got his freedom. All the other ones did. Um, and they just continued to more or less marry from the, the same families. So technically, they weren't slaves the way that we think of enslaved people. So they were free, and we don't really know enough about the first African-descended people who were in New Sweden in New Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. there, there was slavery there, but I don't know what form it took. It seems that, I don't know what form it took. I, I'm not even gonna just carry on at that point. But those are those are two colon two non-British colonies that are probably the least discussed, least researched, and they were very multicultural. I mean, they had um, African people, Asian people, just people from all over the place. Wow! Can I can I throw a, a little more confusion in the mix? Oh sure. <laughs> so back That's in New Jersey, back in New Jersey again, um, we had um, I mean, we we found. Um, indentured. So when they had the gradual abolition, um, they, uh, you know, they said that these people who were freed under the gradual abolition act of 1804 were free, but they had to be indentured for 21 to 25 years. Now, when I did my research, those individuals could have been sold down South and they would have lost their freedom, even though they were on the clock to get their freedom. They could, and they were given away in in um, in wills. So I feel, in my, I mean, I, right now I feel you say tomato, I say tomato. You know, they they were enslaved because they didn't have freedom. I mean, that's my definition. If you don't have freedom, and somebody else is making is dictating your life, you're not free. Mm -hmm. And you're you're enslaved, so that's the way we look at it, actually. So if you had an indentured, um, uh, you know, uh, your, your ancestor was an indentured servant, we count that as being enslaved. Mm. So I want to go back real quick because I mean this show is going so fast. So I want to <laughs> I want to go back because DG she actually asked a few questions since this is like um. Monor, mo modeled after the Daughters of the American Re Revolution and I know how they go. She asked questions like, um, can you use funeral programs? Do And, and most mm -hmm. importantly, do, do the first three generations, do you have to have that information for those first three generations? So for mm -hmm. example, at the Daughters, you have to have the birth certificate, the marriage record, you know, and a death record for that first three generation. Is mm -hmm. that the same for- It's um, the same, yeah. Yeah, okay. So yeah. we wanna make sure everybody knows that. Mm -hmm. And then also, Funeral programs, obituaries, are those available? That can we use those in order for people to join? Uh, you can use them as part of your argument. Okay. Um, yeah, you can use them as part of your argument that the, that they were enslaved. We, most definitely. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 
I want I want to make sure we get all of that out there because I want people to join. I want people to be able to be a part of it. So then the other question that I personally have is that once you join, what is it that the members are going to do once in the organization? Okay. So, um, you know, every year we have an annual conference. Mm-hmm. Uh, the members through their donations and, not, and donations and membership fees, that's how we could put those um, uh, members, we, we put those, uh, uh, those conferences on, um, we, we are able to, um, you know, they, who, you know, we, we provide a place for people to, to do, or, or to talk about their ancestors to talk about their stories at those conferences. Um, we, we, uh, we are trying to encourage more people, although not many people have taken us up on it. We have tried to encourage more people to, um, do different things like, um, uh, you know, I, we have someone who's who's does voiceover, and they're reading the narratives. You know, put that on our site. Um, we have uh, last year for the first time we did poster sessions. Give us your poster sessions. We provide a place for you to tell your story. Mm. Um, we are we are working towards having a journal where people can write up bios of all of their ancestors and put that in there. So the, uh, the members j- support the activities of the organization. Uh, we also um, have gone to different events. So some, I have, I have a member uh, who uh, set up a booth in Mississippi at a blues festival uh, for the organization. And so they would go and, and you could do that. I mean, we want you to use your talents to uplift our ancestors in, in, in the way that you feel comfortable doing, you know, um, and we want to provide a place for you to do that. We also make donations to organizations who, um, who, who, um, who align with our mission. And um, what else do we do? Uh, we have... Um, Don't you do educational... Mm-hmm. Don't you do educational outreach? Yeah, we do educational outreach. Mm-hmm. We have at our meetings, we have a big conference where all our members become mm-hmm. are there. Uh, we again with our insignia, we want people to uplift your ancestors, and and we also try to be a family because I feel when we're all done with all our connections, we all gotta be cousins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now I don't know if you can answer this in about three minutes. Yes. What? Definitely. When would you file a supplemental application, and when do you have to file a full, a, a full one? You have to file the full one first, right? And then you can file supplementals. You know, you know, as, as many. I found thirty-five enslaved ancestors. I'm going to have thirty-five supplementals, and on our insignia. You can have just like DAR. Um, you can have a um, a ribbon that will support all of your uh, names of your enslaved ancestors. So that's what we're going for. We want all of them. There were four million enslaved people on the on the uh, uh, 1870 census, and their estimates of 10 million people were enslaved. My goal, if I would love it, if we had the names of 
all 10 all million. 10 million. Mm -hmm. So basically what she's saying is when you, if I was to fill out my, my thing under Moses Williams, and then I have another one for Martha Brooks, Martha would be my supplemental, but I, I started out with, with Moses. Martha is my, my supplemental. Um, who else would be my supplemental? Brian, because we have Peter would be a supplemental. Mm, Peter Jane. Peterson, Jane Williams. Jane would be. be. Mm -hmm. She would be mm -hmm. a supplemental. So I have about that. I would have. I know about seven of enslaved people that I could join under. Mm -hmm. Moses Jr. would be a supplemental. Violet would be a supplemental. Mind you, these are mm -hmm. all Moses's people. <laughs> so I guess to to I guess to make it really really simplified. Yeah. You would have to do the full process for Moses because he's not already registered with exactly. the sons and daughter. But exactly. anyone associated with him that would be additional to him, a descendant of his, would be a supplemental. Because really, the, the heavy lift, the heavy lifting would have already been done. Exactly. Right. Don't forget about record copies. So if you when you join, um, and you need to, um, uh, you know, you if if you want to use that ancestor for a supplemental. Um, you could just say, hey, see record copy. That's what we do. You can use record copies from other organizations as well to join the organization. And, um, uh, you know, once you do all the work, you don't have to do it anymore. So you're right. Definitely. That's awesome. Well, mm -hmm. uh, you know what? This went way too fast. <laughs> way too fast. And you, we got the cost out there. And, um, I'm so excited about all of that. Thank you so much um, for getting it out there. The cost is $65. The, the, the website is going across the bottom. You guys see that. Um, it's $65 to join. And what's the $20 for? The $20 is, is the supplemental fee application. So, so once you've joined once, mm -hmm. you're just paying $20 after that mm -hmm. for each additional one, additional. which is awesome. And if your um, children want to join, all they have to do is send your record copy. Awesome. See, see how that goes, mm -hmm. guys. This is awesome. So we kind of have a quick DNA related question. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna read it out. I'm not gonna read it out. Um you don't DNA is not submitted. You don't know what ethnicity people who are applying under are from. All you're interested in, you can prove that you're descended from an enslaved person. Here's yeah. their records. Mm -hmm. There you go. So you don't have any ethnic information. On on the no, they have to be you have to be descended from an uh, it has to be mm -hmm. um, African descent. Yes. Yeah. They have to be Got African it. descent. Yes. And the name of the organization is Sons and Daughters of the US Middle Passage. Someone asked to definitely um say that again. So Please thank you. <laughs> yes, please join. I'm I'm actually going to drop mine. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to drop mine probably um this week next weekend. Ooh. But I'm going to drop it under You're both Martha. Yeah. I'm I'm going to drop mine probably under both Martha and Moses. I cuz I can do the easy I have an easy path for both of them. Okay. And um awesome. yeah, she said but you don't have to be identified today. Okay. Thank you for your show, you all. Thank you for what you do. We oh really, no! Everybody appreciates you. I know it. I, I love your shows. I love your shows. They are so informative. Thank you. Thank oh, thank you. you. Thank you so much. We try. We try very hard. We try. <laughs> we try. So we, 
may have time for a quick question, but I just wanted I just wanted to introduce next week's show because we ran out of time to introduce this one last week. So if you have ever wondered what it takes for a county or a state to digitize its records and make them publicly available, you will want to watch next week's show because we will be speaking with the Kentucky Historical Society, which is at the moment project managing and work and undertaking that very thing. So if you're curious about what the process is, handling sense, you know, handling fragile documents, um, anything you want to know about how to actually digitize stuff and make it make it publicly available, um, you will want to watch. And please, as always, bring your questions. Yes, 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 definitely. So thank you again, Evelyn, for thank being you. on the show. You know, thank anytime, you. anytime you want to be on the show, anytime you want to say something, just contact us because we're I ready mean. for you guys. You know, we're open. We're here yeah. to do that. Thank you so much for what you do. No problem. So again, guys, thank you for joining us. I'm Donya Williams. I'm Brian Sheffy. And we will see you again. Enjoy this beautiful Sunday. Enjoy everything. Enjoy. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.